you know, I like the concept. I feel it's something that hasn't been done very often. Dinosaurs, parallel dimensions, cyberpunk, all these interesting elements that kind of sort of mesh together, but not really. Then you throw in the Super Mario Brothers, and that just gives it so much more appeal. If I was to tell you that two huge fans of the Super Mario Brothers live action film, the movie that most people saw, laughed at, and if they watch it today, they're doing so intoxicated. If I told you that two people have been running a fan site for that for a number of years, digging up new information, tracking down memorabilia, and actually got inspired to talk to the screenwriters about potential ideas for a sequel, and then collaborating with those screenwriters to produce a comic that is a official, unofficial, depending on how you look at it, sequel to the original film, and that I convinced one of them, Stephen Applebottom, to get on Skype and talk to me about it, uh, that would be a true story. And, uh, you know, I just, I think like a lot of people, I wasn't a big fan of the live-action Super Mario movie, although I definitely remember seeing it in theaters as a kid. Uh, it was not really what I imagined uh, I would get out of a Mario Brothers film, but... I love that there are people out there acting essentially as archaeologists. And not only what they found uh, better informed their appreciation for uh, a film that a lot of us don't really care for, but they actually were inspired to make something on their own and go far above and beyond what you would normally uh, ascribe to something like fan fiction. I don't even know where this where this lies. So I have to thank uh, Stephen for, uh, I guess, humoring me on uh, and showing me a little bit more about what he's been working on for the past three years uh, with his partner. Uh, and I will uh, toss it over to our conversation now. Um, so, you know, I saw that you were involved with uh, sort of the, you know, unofficial sequel comic, I guess unofficial official, uh, depending on your, your definition of it. But yeah. Uh, I also didn't realize that you, you know, ran uh, a pretty extensive uh, sort of fan site for the movie as well. Uh, yeah, I run that with Brian Haas. He kind of started it in like I think 2006 or something, a long time ago, and I came onto it maybe four years ago, and that's when we really started interviewing all these cast and crew and delving back into the scripts and getting as much memorabilia as we can. And what? How would you describe what draws you to the property, given that, you know, it's it's often, you know, kind of been discarded as seen as, you know, something that uh, only has sort of kitsch value, but uh, you seem to have a general appreciation for it. So so what is it about that film that you keep going back to? Uh, you know, I like the concept. I feel it's something that hasn't been done very often. Dinosaurs, parallel dimensions, cyberpunk all these interesting elements that kind of sort of mesh together, but not really. Then you throw in the Super Mario Brothers, and that just gives it so much more appeal. So for you, is part of it that it's just, like, it's totally weird and shouldn't exist, and so the fact that it shouldn't exist 
is all the more reason we should celebrate that it does. Yeah, exactly. How, how did you get uh, involved with uh, the website then? Was that just something where you were searching for information on the internet and stumbled upon it? Yeah, pretty much. I was a fan of the movie when I was a kid and I hadn't seen it in like 10 years and I started thinking about it again and I did a Google search and was surprised that there was only one website about it. I'm like, well, I guess this is the place for me. And I ended up joining up and, you know, I stuck around for a while, but there was nothing really going on. There were no updates and I was getting a little tired about not having any new updates or interviews. So I said to the site's creator, how about I just contact all these people for you and then we'll get the ball rolling again. And ever since then, we've just opened up this huge world, all of these interviews and looks into the behind the scenes. It's just come together very well. So how did you actually go about, I guess, tracking down the various people involved in the project? You know, it's not as simple as just loading up IMDb. So what sort of tools did you use to even track these people down and, and agree to talk to you? Um, you know, at first I did just use IMDb. I uh, Googled names. Uh, the first person I contacted was Mojo Nixon, who played Toad. And, you know, it was fairly easy Googling names. Uh, sometimes I wouldn't find someone. But over time, we ended up talking to so many people that they would give us contact information for other people. And for the people we couldn't reach, we ended up getting an IMDb Pro account. And that's how we got in touch with the directors and the producers. And, and how did how did people generally respond when you wanted to talk to them about it? Do, do people look back on that project pretty fondly, uh, given the fact that, you know, when it came out and the way it did at the box office, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if some of those people, you know, wanted to pretend that movie didn't exist. Right. Um, most of the people we talked to were very happy about it because at the time it was a very revolutionary movie. They were introducing a lot of great special effects that hadn't been done before and they had these really talented actors and it was a project that they were proud to work on and of course it's going to be disappointing that it didn't do well and that people didn't like it for the most superficial reasons. So the fact that we were interviewing them gave them a chance to talk about everything they did. It really helped them to share what they contributed and what they felt was important to the industry. Did you have a, a particular interview that that was your favorite or a particular fact that you sort of uncovered in, in your reporting on the movie that uh, struck uh, kind of struck out to you the most? Um, my favorite interview was probably with the one of the original writers, Parker Bennett. Uh, it's great getting all these this backstory that isn't in the scripts or in the movie. Um, but the most interesting thing is probably discovering that they had a fantasy version of the script that went unproduced and was pretty much exactly what everybody would have wanted. In my understanding is, you know, the, the some of the research I had done was that was a little more grounded in the actual, I guess, universe of, you know, what we come to know as, as the Mario fiction as opposed to, you know, the, the stranger stuff that actually made it into the shooting script, correct? Yeah, it... Everyone was on board with it. Everybody loved the idea. The script was really good. It, I'd recommend it as a read. It stands as probably what would have been a labyrinth or dark crystal type of film. 
but the director ended up leaving and they kind of scrambled to find a new director. Nobody wanted the job. They approached Harold Ramis. He, he didn't want the job. Finally, they got Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, and they're like, we'll take the job, but we want a completely new script. And that's how it ended up shifting to the science fiction-oriented version. Did, did you have anyone uh, that you tried to track down that you either haven't been able to track down or that, that turned you down uh, for an opportunity to talk about the movie? Um, the most important person that probably turned us down was Dean Semler, who was the director of photography. And after the directors left the set, he ended up shooting a lot of the other scenes that kind of pulled it together. Uh, he refused to be interviewed because he said that he didn't think it was his film and he didn't have the right to be interviewed about it. And then, so you've been you've been doing this for a number of years now. You know, a lot of times, you know, it's easy to become sort of obsessed with a project and then move on to to something else. Or what has kept you coming back to this? Is is it the fact that you just keep finding more out about it and that you just, you know, there's there's sort of a constant well of information to to discover about the film and its and its production? I think that's that's part of it. But at the same time, every time we came out with some new information. Uh, we might end up getting an article or a mention on Twitter, that kind of thing. And it, we always had a positive fan response. There, were always, there was always someone who said that they liked the movie and that they felt they were the only fan. And it just kind of pushed us forward, knowing that there are people who appreciated this look into the film's production. What was your, you know, you said you saw the movie a number of years ago as a kid and then uh, came around to it and revisited it again. How did you feel, you know, what do you remember about the movie and your perception of it when you were younger? And, and sort of how did that change, you know, when you were older and probably played more video games, seen more movies and, and sort of had a wider perspective? You know, my memories of it as a kid are probably the same as the last time I've seen it. I remember specific scenes um and the overall story and it kind of surprises me that i never questioned why it was different from the games i just sort of accepted it uh when i saw it as an adult i obviously noticed the flaws but i didn't think it was any worse than when i saw it as a kid so it, you know correct me if i'm wrong but it definitely sounds like you know you're a you, like you think the movie's good, like you actually like the movie, and that you believe it's gotten sort of a bad rap uh, as being uh, a pretty terrible film uh, over the years, which is sort of the conventional wisdom. You, would you say that's true? Yeah, um, I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. I do know that it has quite a few flaws, and it doesn't really come together as well as it should. But if you look at it individually at the special effects and the acting and the story, there's very good elements that keep you drawn in. And that's what I appreciate is that, you know, there's still things to enjoy about it. So uh, how do you go from, you know, appreciating the film, wanting to know more about its production and, and the work that went into to actually making it to, you know, where you're at now, where you're producing sort of an unofficial sequel with, you know, input from the people that crafted that the script that informed the movie. Like, how, how did that conversation start and go from being just a joke uh, to to something that you're actually doing? Well, when we interviewed the original writer Parker Bennett, 
one of the questions we asked was, did you have any plans for the sequel? And what were those plans? And he didn't really have an idea of what they would have done because it wasn't something they had considered. He told us that the sequel hook at the end of the film was more of an homage to Back to the Future. It was intended as a joke, and they didn't really know what they would do if they had to follow up on it. But we asked him what he would have done if given the opportunity, and he kind of gave these broad points about the consequences of the first film and the themes that they would have explored. I just triggered this huge discussion between me and Ryan Haas, and we said, well, you know, it would kind of be fun to visit those different ideas and just give something for the fans to appreciate. So we recontacted Parker Bennett and talked to him in more detail, and he gave us a lot of backstory and just built up this whole idea of what could have happened. So how, how long ago did that all happen? Probably close to three years ago. That's how long we've been working on it. So what, what happened in the, the three years? Was it, was it purely research and kind of getting the story together? Like what, what, what takes uh, 36 months before you guys are willing to kind of come out and talk about it? Well, considering how much problems the film had in the scripting area, we knew that if we were to share a sequel story, that it would have to be the best it could possibly be. And we just didn't want the script to suck. It had to be both a faithful continuation of the movie and something that people would want to read. So we spent a large amount of that time just writing and revising the script and making sure that it worked. And we're very glad that we did because we ended up you know, adding characters and then removing characters and just trying to get the motivations and the character arcs as good as they could be. And it wasn't until the 20th anniversary last May that we were ready to present a teaser for the comic. And that's when we started to really put out pages. So for people who, you know, maybe aren't familiar, haven't seen the movie in a while, can you kind of provide a setup? Like how, do, how does the movie end and where, where does the, the comic pick up? Well, the movie sees Mario and Luigi pulled into this parallel dimension inhabited by humanoid dinosaurs and this effort to rescue Princess Daisy, Luigi's girlfriend from King Koopa. Uh, King Koopa wants Daisy to merge the two dimensions into one so that he can rule over both. At the end of the film, Koopa's defeated and Daisy stays behind to help rebuild their world while Mario and Luigi return to Brooklyn. At the end of the film, Daisy bursts through their apartment door and says, hey, I need you, you're never going to believe this. And she's kind of wearing the same jumpsuit that Mario and Luigi were wearing earlier in the film and wielding this flamethrower. So it's very action-y, set pc kind of hint at what's to come. To be honest, we really struggled with making that work. It was just so difficult to find out how to continue from there. It was very Back to the Future. They, When they made the sequel to Back to the Future, they had no idea where to go from there because they didn't really plan for it. If they had planned for it, they would have made the sequel hook more specific. And since the writers for Super Mario Brothers didn't plan for the sequel, they didn't really build up to anything as well as they could have. So what we ended up doing was we tried to figure out what 
threat was important enough to call Mario and Luigi back. And he felt that, well, Daisy's trying to restore her world to its former glory. She would probably be in the desert uh, to bring water back to the city since, you know, it has no water, there's no vegetation, no food source. So they're in the desert, they're piping in water, and they end up discovering an underground chamber. And in this chamber is a machine that opens a portal to yet another parallel dimension, and all these creatures begin spilling through and overpowering them. And that's what we thought would probably be enough to bring Mario and Luigi back. So I, I wanted to ask, you know, when you started actually scripting it out and starting breaking down the characters, figuring out the plot points, um, was it weird to actually be sort of playing in that world and writing for these characters and for this fiction after spending so much time learning more about it uh, to be actually sort of continuing it and sort of driving it forward? Uh, I have to imagine, at least early on, must have been a pretty strange experience. It was it was a little strange, but after having seen the film so many times between us, it just started to become very comfortable. We had this understanding of who the characters were and what they were about and what they would do in a given situation. And over time, the, the scenes just started to script themselves and the dialogue came naturally. So how many times do you think you have seen the movie yourself? Um, I've probably seen the movie over 15 times. Uh, two of those times were in theaters. Ryan Haas, I'm, he's probably seen the movie over 50 times. And is, do you, you know, when you, when you were watching it for sort of like getting ready to, to script it out, was there something different you were looking for than when you were just, you know, watching it for, you know, like pure enjoyment? Hmm. You know, most of what we took for the sequel comic came from the early scripts. We wanted to use those more for the pace than the film itself, since the film cut out a lot of scenes that were pretty important to the backstory. So if, you know, if, uh, if people are interested in sort of in checking out the comic, would you actually recommend that they read a specific edition of the script before making the jump so they have sort of a full understanding of, of where you guys left off from? Uh, no, no. A lot of the concepts that we're reusing were important to the early scripts, but they weren't so much to the movie itself. They, they kind of just were reused in a way that they didn't need to be known beforehand. They, we just put them later in the timeline. So have you guys, you know, started thinking any broader about, you know, when you sort of finish this bit, this comic, you know, you'd potentially be in an, an opportunity where you could kind of take your own completely original ideas and, and sort of spin them off from there. Have you guys thought that far ahead on what you might do if you have the opportunity? Well, we do have plans after this comic to work on a final chapter to the story that ends it on a, a trilogy note. And after that, we are hoping that people would be interested in contributing to the sort of expanded universe stories, which we think would be very interesting since there's a lot of different characters and side stories to explore. 
Cool. Well, how uh, how much longer? I know you guys are rolling out what a page a week going forward. Usually depends. Um, sometimes we do two pages a week. Sometimes one. It really depends on our budget at the time. So, how, how much longer do you think it's going to take for you guys to sort of end up telling your story? It's probably going to be a while. the The story is hovering around 100 pages. Um, so at, at our given rate, it'll probably take over a year. But, you know, if we can get enough pages out per week and keep the story interesting, I think people will continue to be drawn into it. All right. Well, I guess my, my last question then would be, you know, if someone is interested in learning more, you know, obviously they can go to your website to, to see what you guys have done over the years to sort of archive this film. But is there a place that you would recommend they start? Is there a certain interview or set of interviews that you think are particularly interesting that, that people should start with if they, they want to start going down the rabbit hole of the Super Mario Brothers movie? I think the most important interviews would probably be between uh, Parker Bennett, the writer, and then Richard Edson, who plays the character Spike. Those are the most involved interviews. They give the best look into the production. Cool. Well, Stephen, uh, I appreciate your time, and I, I appreciate you spending a couple of minutes uh, talking to me about the comic and, and what you've been up to on the website. Uh, I think it's super fascinating and cool that, that you guys have taken so much time to uh, sort of archive something that it seems so many other people, especially those involved, I uh, kind of tried to put in the dustbin as soon as possible. Yeah, of course, no problem. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk about the movie and help people come to an, appreciate it a little more than they might have.